Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Design Recharged. We are here every week. It's Wednesday um, and it's at, we're always at 2.30 or thereabouts um, Eastern Time, 11.30 Pacific. And I'm glad to have everybody. I know Nikki Hoffman's on in California, so she's Pacific Time. And I know Meredith is Central Time with me and Kelly May I know is in Atlanta, so she's Eastern. So we've got everybody but Mountain Time, I think, covered, unless maybe Ryan or Kojo somebody like that, you'll have to let me know where you are. Um, today, I'm super excited. I have I found Keith Tatum um, on Pinterest and started following him and just have been blown away. And then when I do research, I start, I find them, see what they're doing in other social sites. All right, great to know you're in Ohio, Gavin. Yeah, go Bucks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so it is uh, with great pleasure that I get to introduce Keith Tatum and what he does during the day, he's going to give us a little bit um, about what he's doing during the day, and then um, we're going to get into what he does after work because that's where that's what I found him for. So, Keith, give us a little bit of your background, um, how you came to design, and um, what you've been doing, and where you are kind of now. Right on. Uh, I'll make it short and sweet. Um, we'll, we'll talk about lots of other fun things, but. Um, I was uh, an artist. I grew up as an artist. I grew up in a house uh, with a couple of artists. My dad and my brother were both artists. And um, my dad was actually a, a sign painter uh, when he was younger. And he was also an illustrator uh, in the military. So I think I had always uh, grown up sort of being enamored with typography. Uh, my, my dad was incredibly skilled at hand lettering things and um, certainly that's carried uh, that probably will be pretty obvious as we take a look at some other work or as as people become familiar with some of the things that I work on um, but I uh, I was just one of those kids that spent a lot of time drawing and that led to uh, success in art classes in high school and eventually led me on to college um, I went to the Columbus College of Art and Design, and I, uh, I focused on illustration, but I minored in advertising design. And at the time, desktop publishing was just blowing up. So, um, you know, the idea that you could use the computer uh, to create things rather than traditional methods, I was kind of caught, uh, that'll show my age a little bit, but I was caught in between those two worlds, and I started leaning on the computer um, even though the computer lab at the time only had a couple of Macs, uh, now they have floors of uh, computers in the labs. But um, so I definitely got out into the workforce uh, because I embraced the computer, and that quickly led to interface design for uh, CD-ROMs. For anybody who's uh, watching the show today, they may not even remember CD-ROMs, but that was sort of the precursor to the internet. Uh, in terms of sharing information and so forth. And uh, right about the time that um, the internet started to um, get on everybody's radar, uh, I discovered information architecture. And um, for anybody who's not as familiar with that um, trade, uh, you, you basically blueprint out experiences much like a traditional architect, only you're doing it for the web for mobile experiences, for social experiences. So I spent 11 years of my career uh, focusing on information architecture, um, but certainly had always carried over a passion for design. And I would work on stuff 
uh, for myself mostly, um, but you know, I really didn't spend my days um, pushing pixels quite the same way uh, that traditional designers do. Um, always carried sketchbooks with me though, that's always been a big part of, of who I am. So that's led me to where I am today. I spend my uh, work days uh, as a creative director uh, at an agency here in Columbus, Ohio, uh, Resource. And, um, you know, I oversee teams where we design um, full-scale websites. We do, uh, we manage a lot of social media for our clients. We do a lot of custom apps for the iPhone and Android and uh, tablets and so forth. So I'm still very much in digital, but um, the thing that Diana and I were talking about is, um, you know, yeah, I spend uh, my work day focused on digital, but I certainly spend the rest of uh, what little free time I have uh, as a busy parent um, being working in much more analog um, mediums. I, you know, I'm very passionate about sketching, uh, working on lino cuts. Um, I've been going to uh, letter letterpress classes and, and learning um, uh, how to, to work with metal and wood type. Um, I certainly love a lot of traditional, I think about the only thing I'm not that um, skilled at would be painting. Uh, I never was really good at, at painting. I uh, scraped by during oil painting classes in school. But um, So that's sort of in a nutshell um, where, um, where I've made my journey from. Well, um, and we're gonna. I'm gonna show you some images. So Keith does a lot of hand lettering. So one of the. So I found him on Pinterest, and I, you know, there's. I don't follow everybody's everything board, but like I go, I click on, and then I'm like, oh, well, I'll just, you know, follow a few of the things that. Because I, some people, you don't want to follow everything, right? Yeah. But it was like it was like pages, and I was like, oh, this looks cool. So I'm just gonna follow all, because I don't follow everybody all. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're special if I get a all follow off. So, <laughs> but it was everything was just great, and I didn't realize he was producing all this stuff. And and really, you know, a lot of people are using Pinterest and social sharing sites for inspiration. And I think that's where we started talking about. And then I realized that some most of this stuff he was creating. And first, I don't know how he has the time to do all of this, but it. Is it's gonna blow you away. So I'm gonna pull this first one. This is we put everything on Flickr, and how this works is Spreecast is amazing. You have this excellent thing. You can actually ask questions. Um, you can interact with Keith and I over there. And when I pull the picture up, you're gonna be able to right now. You'll be able to move your mouse on it and drag it over and. Um, because this is a video, you have to, we, I could have done an automatic, but I didn't realize, um, but we'll just have to hit play together. I'm not, sh I don't know how long, how, I can't remember, Keith, how long it is. Uh, this actually should just be an image. I don't know why that has a oh. video player icon oh, on I it, but. That's what it is. Okay. Um, well, anyway, it'll, it'll go through, I think think if you just don't hit play you can kind of see but or you could hit play and see a bunch of things oh it's a slideshow um, somebody's mentioning that it's a yeah. slideshow presentation of it okay gotcha yep so you can actually move it thanks gavin um you can actually move it back and forth but um but do you want to talk about like first i don't know how you find all this type to draw um and then i love the tatum made with the eight as the 
eight part of Tatum, I think is cool. <laughs> um, but can you talk a little bit about just the type and sure. how you find? Absolutely. Um, well, you know, I definitely spend a lion's share of my uh, time doing research and, um, you know, I, I'd say there are, there are pretty large buckets of um, typography that I'm, I'm pretty passionate about. Uh, I'm definitely uh, passionate about Victorian type, uh, type that you would find in the mid to late 1800s all the way up into the early 1900s, like let's say around 1920 or so. Uh, I'm just fascinated by uh, that particular uh, era because there's such a craftsmanship uh, that happened. When you think about the tools that folks had that long ago, very limited. You know, they were doing engravings, they were doing uh, lithography, they were doing woodcuts um, or, you know, like a line of cut. Um, you know, very um, basic uh, tools to work with. And when you look at the amount of detail and um, flourishes that surround a lot of that typography, um, I just couldn't help but fall in love with it. So I do spend a lot of time um, not only uh, digitally, I'll do a lot of research, whether I'm scouring through Flickr uh, or, um, you know, one of the things that I um, have really found uh, a wealth of great imagery uh, are in some of the digital images, image collections that libraries are um, curating nowadays. I think, you know, libraries have kind of found themselves in this weird predicament. They still have to be relevant. You know, of course, we all do our research by typing whatever we want into the Google search field. But I think one of the jobs that libraries are really going to embrace will be archiving and curating all of this content. And so there are some amazing um, collections that libraries are maintaining. I've seen like the New York Public Library has this incredible image gallery. And what's really nice about that is you can at times, um, you can pull up really high resolution images and look at all the incredible detail down to the flaws that were made with, you know, a quill pen or uh, the letterpress process. You can see where the wood type um, had nicks or scrapes in the wood. Uh, so I'm just fascinated by all that. But um, so, you know, definitely look for uh, major libraries, both here in the U.S. and even uh, within other countries, have amazing collections, and they've been digitizing things at very high resolution. You can often um, purchase images, and they'll send you either uh, a TIFF, high-res TIFF file, or sometimes they'll do prints, too. You can order prints from some of those collections. So between, you know, things that we have at our disposal, like Instagram and Tumblr, and uh, Flickr, and certainly Pinterest. You know, what I love about Pinterest is you can collect things and you can easily share them. But what you find is, um, or at least what I find personally, is um, <clears throat> you, you see a lot of repinning. So there's, lot, there's not really a lot of new content. Sometimes I feel like I've hit the bottom of the barrel uh, for what's left for me to look at. And certainly there's always people uh, uploading new stuff. But Pinterest is great for for keeping track of that stuff and organizing it. And so that's how I really use Pinterest. But um, certainly there are other image collections that, um, that, that live out on the web that are just amazing. The other thing I'll throw my um, advice, uh, an inside tip 
um, to you. If you haven't ever done this, um, I, there's an amazing service that's available uh, through your public library. I'm going to sound a bit like I'm a spokesperson for public libraries today, but um, if you've never tried interlibrary loan or you've never heard of it, it's an amazing service that your local library offers. I've had the pleasure of holding in my hands uh, books that are no longer in print, that are from the 1800s, the pages are still intact. I've, been, I've checked out books on sign painting and sign writing and uh, all the really old type specimen books from uh, Hamilton uh, wood type manufacturing and, and so forth. I'm, I'm not kidding, these books are from the 1800s. And what interlibrary loan lets you do is through your local library, you can find out these books and the library will um, send a request to participate, participating libraries, and these could be universities, they could be personal collections, and they will lend those books to your local library, and you can go pick up a book that lives in a library in New York that's sitting on the shelf and have it delivered right, you know, to your neighborhood. Um, the only thing you have to be very careful with them, and they have special fines, like if you damage the book or if it's lost, you know, you could be out a couple hundred bucks, but... Um, I have found such amazing um, content and I always try to scan some of the very best imagery and keep it for myself in my personal collection and sometimes I'll take photos and put them up on Instagram and so forth. But if you haven't ever tried that, do it because just about every book you can imagine is available. I've saved myself thousands of dollars too on new books. They'll order uh, books for you if they see it's a relevant request and your local library is happy to use the budget that sometimes minimal budgets that they have, but if they feel like it's a relevant book, they'll order it as well. So it's a great way to get new books. Um, but in regards to the type, sorry, I got off track. Um, a lot of, of, of the work that you see is absolutely inspired um, work that I, that I do. Um, so if you're seeing the Hastings and, and company image up on the screen right now, um, that's hand-drawn, and I think you also have the, the hand-drawn version of that, but um, just for example, this is a, a, a manufacturing company uh, from the 1800s that made gold leaf that sign painters and sign writers used to use on the gilding on windows. And I saw that image and um, the packaging for the product, I think I actually came across it on eBay. Somebody was selling one and they wanted a fortune for it. Um, and I was just like, I would love to have this image for myself. You know, it's such a beautiful um, representation of, of type from that era, you know, just really ornate, um, very, uh, it's got this hand-drawn quality to it too. So I sort of said, well, why can't I have my own version of this? So I did some research and I found, fortunately, I came across some larger resolution images <laughs> so I could really get in and look at the detail. Um, and so I started working on different sketches and so forth and, um, you know, I work quite a bit with like a light table, um, you know, start out with rough sketches and then just adding layers of, um, I use um, AdArt marker paper because it's semi-translucent. It's not as, uh, it's not as junky as uh, tracing paper, but it holds marker line really well. Um, so you just sort of start building up these layers and you, you work on the type and you um, adjust things as you go. But I actually love that um, a lot of the work that um, I am inspired by as of late and that I find myself doing is, 
is actually pretty rough and doesn't feel like it was done as a vector drawing. And um, so that gets back to sort of my passion for um, analog techniques and getting your hands dirty. And I think it's okay that things look rough and beat up. Um, and what's kind of crazy is a few years ago, the work that I was doing personally or any illustration or type design that I was doing was very cold, flat, vector, uh, had very lifeless, no personality. And now almost everything that I do, um, if you have a chance to start looking at um, any of the work that I have up on Instagram or, or, or Dribbble or Pinterest for that matter, um, it's very rich with texture. So I've become sort of a texture junkie, which uh, was something that I'd never explored um, during art school. And it was just something that I've uh, disco discovered over the past couple of years. Well, um, so, and th that's one of my questions. So we saw the drawing, yeah. we saw this, and then we saw the drawing, and then I put this back up. So how much, um, how much work are you doing in the computer? Um, so there's uh, probably about a 75-25 split. The reason that I do still use the computer um, I, I like to get things worked out from a sketch standpoint. I really enjoy um, putting on my headphones and music um, later in the evening and doing a lot of the detailed line work. That's just sort of a peaceful place for me because uh, it's kind of just you and whatever music you're into and, and pen and paper. Um, I, I think I have much more control with pen. So I use modern, I mean, I have a collection of uh, traditional um, pen nibs, you know, probably from the 20s, and um, I'm fascinated with people that used all that, um, all those tools, but, you know, certainly I'm, I'm more comfortable with fine point Sharpie markers and uh, Micron Pigma, you know, things that are a little more permanent that don't bleed when you, uh, if you accidentally streak your hand across it. Yeah, totally. That, that's my like that. weapon of choice, really, is the, yeah, the Sharpie uh, fine point markers, but I'll bring those sketches in. I like to scan them, and it's kind of hard because I work uh, quite a bit bigger. Usually, my stuff ends up being like 18 by 24 or 16 by 20. I really like to do stuff that poster size um, on final pieces, but um, I'll scan them in and, and go in and clean up some stuff that might take a little more time to do by hand, like just filling in uh, sections. But I almost always work in black and white first. Um, and then I do a lot of my coloring in um, Illustrator and Photoshop. So that Hastings piece, if, if folks are still looking at it, all of the texture and color and, um, and so forth was done right in Photoshop. Um, so I took my scanned image into Illustrator, cleaned up some of the gunk that might have been um, on the layout. And if I've smeared anything or you know there are any errors, I can always change and adjust those. And, touch them up as vector, but then bring it into Photoshop. And, um, excuse me, I, I certainly enjoy um, working with real texture, too. So I've sort of built up a personal library of textures by scanning in really old parchment papers. And, um, uh, you know, it seems like a lot of the advertising and design that was done in the 1800s was done on, like, a very light, tan, really textured paper. So a lot of the work that you see 
that you'll see me do has sort of that look. It looks like ephemera. It looks like it's been laying around and aged for a while. So um, that's sort of how most stuff goes. Now, that's not to say I don't spend... There's stuff that I will do 100% in Illustrator where there'll be a particular font that I'm in love with and um, maybe I'll rough up, rough up the type in Illustrator and then take it into Photoshop as well. So I'm sort of all over the place. I also love to um, do lino cuts, do the typography in lino cut and print it in hand, by hand, you know, just rolling ink on with a brayer and then layering paper on it, getting a print of that, and then I'll scan that in um, and use that. So there's there's a bit of crossover as well. Have you ever just as a side note, um, have you ever used the new um, litho where you can do stuff in the computer and then you can print it? Um, they have these polymers plates that I know a lot of printmakers are using. That yeah, kind of has that letterpress. Yeah, I I personally have not. Um, I've only done uh, wood and metal type for letterpress, but I have a relationship with uh, a letterpress shop here in town. And um, certainly I understand the process. I mean, you can go straight from your vector work, uh, ship it off, have that photopolymer plate made, and then, you know, do traditional letterpress printing. And I think that's fantastic. Um, I've just found that um, it can be costly to get plates made and then you know you have to pay for press time and you got to pay for the materials so I I spend a lot of time either making stuff myself uh, and and that ends up being meaning that they're very limited like I, I can't like sell 30 or 40 posters but more recently um, I started up a relationship with a screen printer here in town for a poster competition that's coming up and I found that it's really pretty inexpensive you know, I, I think I got like uh, 45 11 by 17 uh, prints silkscreen, two-color silkscreening for like 160 bucks. And if I sold, wow. if I sold those for like 10 bucks a piece, I could easily make my money back on that. So I don't know. I've really just, I've really just started um, getting more into. Wow, maybe I could do a little more mass production of some of these pieces because I've had. Um, people begging me for you know certain pieces, or they're like, "Wow, it'd be really cool if you sold these." I you know I think a lot of people are surprised that I, I'm not like uh, selling stuff left and right. But um, you know, my story for now is I've really just been sort of caught up in technique and um, really exploring um, what what I'm really passionate about, and haven't really had any concern for mass production of it or you know um, selling it for that matter. Um, I think my screen saver just kicked in. Give me one second. Okay. Um, so, you know, that's, okay, just, that's, that's really not a passion point of mine right now is like for me to get rich selling all my prints, but certainly I would love for people if they enjoy a piece um, and they'd love to hang it on their wall. I think that'd be awesome. Personally, I'd, I'd love uh, to be able to share my work at that level. And I think one of the things that's so cool um, is that you need inspiration too, that you are going and you're researching and you're doing these things. And then right. he's actually, he, he doesn't do this kind of design at work. He's more, he's a creative director. So he's, he's helping other people when they get stuck. And he's, by doing this, he's able to be a better creative director. He's be able to help other people when they're stuck at things. Um, and I wanted to show you some of the pictures of his studio, which I think is kind of like a, 
not virtual, but it's a Pinterest in real life, which we used to call bulletin boards or something like that. So this is um, this is my office at, uh, at office at work. Yeah, so um, that's my desk at work. Uh, and that's one wall uh, directly to the side, and then I have another wall behind me. But you know, my philosophy is, and there's a good mix of things there. There are things that absolutely I'm inspired by, um, and then there's also things that I've made myself. Um, and I think um, one of the things that, um, if I could drive home a message to, to the folks that um, tune into the broadcast live or if they watch it recorded later, um, one of the things that I think that I've learned personally, and hopefully it's true uh, for other folks, is that if you really surround yourself with the things that you love, not just people, right? We should surround ourselves with the people that we love, but um, the things, particularly in creative regards, if you surround the things that you really love to look at, um, I have one pin board on uh, Pinterest that's labeled exciting my mind because I started pinning things like if, if, it, if I, when I looked at it, my immediate reaction was that it excited my mind. It got on that Pinterest board. So there's a, there's a huge mix of things that I have on there, but I started surrounding my th myself with the things that I was um, interested in, that I thought were unique or that I thought were executed really well. And then I started including my stuff in that. And I think what you find when you do that is you sort of just become the environment that you build, right? I think there are probably other people that have figured this out long before I had, but the more you immerse yourself in it, the more it becomes what you do. And I know that probably sounds a little philosophical, but um, it's really true. Like I have found myself being influenced by the things that I hang up, that I choose to hang up, by the things that I pen onto Pinterest or that I throw out onto Instagram or the things that I follow. Um, and it, it, the more that you're in it, the, 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 more, um, the more natural it is for you to, to work in that style or um, you know, to, to really pick up on uh, some of the details that other people are using in their work and so forth. So that's an example of home. I do the very same thing, or at, at work, my desk, I do the same thing at home if you have that image um, but at home, it's more of a curation of things. So um, I have a really old printmaker's cabinet that you're seeing there in the photo. And those um, drawers are littered uh, with stuff that I collect. Um, and I'll have to tell you, I'm probably more of a visual collector than a physical collector. It's just more practical because, um, you know, from a money standpoint, obviously it's very expensive to to purchase antiques and uh, ephemera, you know, uh, there, I may see a Victorian trade card that I just fall in love with, but it might be $300 and it's like, wow, do I really want to spend that much money for something like, you know, the size of a postcard? Um, so, um, but, you know, the visual collection, that's sort of my way. Uh, when I go to antique shops and um, antique shows and, um, when I travel to other cities, I always, always take the time to go out and uh, I call them type hunts. Um, so for anybody that may start um, following me on Pinterest, I have a type hunter uh, board and um, actually I have a couple and everything that I capture in terms of typography and design that I'm excited by, 
um, ends up on those boards. So I literally have thousands of posts from trips that I've made uh, to physical places where I've held packaging and tins and um, you know ephemera in my hand, taking a photo of it. And I have a souvenir of it, right? I can still be inspired by it without spending all the money. So some of what you see there at home, there's a mix of stuff. You know, I've got wood type that I've collected, and um, but like uh, the sign painter's box that's um, on the um, on top of the cabinet, I made that. I, I bought like an eight dollar um, thing at uh, one of the craft stores and painted it and roughed it up, and then I did some old sign painting lettering on it uh, because I really wanted. A sign painter's box. You know, I mentioned that my dad was a sign painter when he was younger, and I'm just fascinated with um, hand lettering and sign painting. But I thought, well, if I want one, why couldn't I try making one? So um, there's a weird crossover at home, too, for me, like things that I do, um, I'm, I'm choosy to collect, you know, posters that I may have printed. There's some letterpress work that I've done uh, from classes that I've taken. Um, and, and then certainly smaller stuff that I've purchased that I've collected from uh, trips to, to like hatch show print in um, Nashville, Tennessee, you know, postcards and, and posters and so forth. But I think it's important to, to, to keep inspiration not only just like on Pinterest and, and that's, uh, that's actually my drafting table um, that's been in our family. Uh, that's a hundred year old drafting table that was manufactured by Hamilton, uh, the same manufacturers of, of Hamilton wood type. Um, and uh, I do a lot of hand lettering on that table, and so did my dad. But I also will leave work out. Um, I just simply scotch tape it to the surface so it's not permanent. But, you know, if people come over, uh, it's a great conversation piece. But also for me, it's like a great way to see work in progress, the things that I'm working on, and to keep myself inspired about the work I'm doing, right? You can't, for, it's, it's not just about being inspired by other people's work. That's a huge part of it, but um, you really should celebrate all the hard work that you're putting into things. So um, some of that stuff I've had professionally printed. Other stuff I've had printed on demand at, at services like uh, ImageKind, which is owned by um, uh, Cafe Press. So for any folks that are tuning in that want to get one poster done, um, that's a great service. It's a very reasonably priced way to get a nice Z-clay print made. If you, if you aren't familiar with the Z-clay print, it's basically an archival quality inkjet print. And you might think inkjet printer, the quality is not going to be great, but the, the, the quality is actually fantastic. They have different um, substrates that they'll print on. There's different textured papers and it lasts like 70 years. So it's frameable stuff. Um, if you want to give gifts, if, you, if you're proud of a piece of work, I would encourage you to go down that route. It's very expensive to have stuff offset print and to have it letterpress print. And I'm not trying to diminish the importance of those um, those trades. I love um, letterpress stuff. I love um, offset print stuff. I, I love silkscreen stuff. But I'm also practical in that, you know, if I were to print everything that I make, I'd be broke, right? So, um, you know, be creative about how you make the things, too, that you, uh, that you want to keep around you. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a view of part of what home has. If anybody's interested, I have shots of my studio that have more of the stuff that I keep around. So I keep track of that stuff too. I think it's 
cool to share that with other people to show how you keep your um, your workspace inspiring as well. And something we talked about earlier before we got live was um, you had said when we were doing our test, you said, well, I said, wow, look at all the stuff behind you. And some of the stuff was stuff he had made when he was in his um, work office space. And he said, yeah, you know, it's really transitioned from just things that inspire me by other people to some stuff that I've done. And so there's been this kind of you know, I think when people first start trying something, they're not as confident that sometimes you just need it around you because the more you have it around you, the better you can get because you can see where you could adjust or, or fix things. I think as designers, no matter where when we finish or how long we work on something, we can always improve upon it. We can always see something we would change even after it's been printed or whatever. But I always tell my students, I said, it's like eating. You need to eat better visually. And I said, if I just ate at McDonald's, no offense to McDonald's, but if all I ate was at McDonald's every day, my body would would um, look differently than yeah. it does if I eat vegetables and things like that. So it's kind of the same way I say, I don't want you to eat a hamburger like from Ruth's Chris. You know, it's like <laughs> a $50 hamburger. Right. So I want them to visually better and so I think I think that having that stuff around you gives you you're exactly right it's kind of like osmosis you yeah. know the more it's around the better you become so and, and I, I definitely don't be afraid to I, I, I really put myself out there I, I post stuff on on dribble um, and you know what sometimes I hesitate before I click the upload um, but you know what I almost always find that there's somebody that will make a comment or uh, they'll like, they may not be in love with a, a piece of work, but there's something good to talk about every piece. So I think part of the process of, of um, inspiring yourself with your own work too is you, you have to be able to see progress, right? You have to be able to see, like I can look at stuff that I made last year and I'm like, wow, I have done a, a 360 or a 180 whichever you know like I'm on the other side of that you know it's like I, I might have been embarrassed to, uh, to show that to somebody at, at some point but now look at the cool stuff that I'm capable of making so you know I, I think you have to curate your own work just as much um, I don't know I, I just I, I learn more about myself by um, sort of deciding what I like about each of the things that I've made and it, it helps you get to the next um, to the next cool piece I guess I think I, I think Gavin uh, agrees I think it's kind of like um, I'm I have never thought of myself as an illustrator but I've been trying to I do draw all the time but right. I've been trying to have certain characters that I do and I've been I share them with my students I'm like I am totally nervous about showing something and I think it doesn't matter how far along you are in your process, you still have that a little bit of, uh, but you just got to have courage and be out there and, and share, which I think is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So here's, here's, a, here's a piece that I asked um, Keith. He didn't, I usually have everybody kind of prepare their images. Well, this is one I just pulled. So I pulled this because it looks, I didn't know how he did this texture. And um, I said, wow, you know, this is just amazing. And um, how did you get it? Did you fold a piece of paper and then do it in Photoshop or whatever? And he said, he's going to tell us what he said. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so I 
I did this, I think, like last Sunday. Uh, if, it, if it was probably within a week um, ago. Um, so that particular piece is a good example of hybrid. So um, what you're seeing there is um, one part found artwork. So I found this great um, bear on, I mean, who doesn't love a bear on uh, hockey skates with a hockey stick? It was in a really old um, printer's catalog. And I forget the context for it, but I think it was a trade card. It was an advertisement. So, you know, I took some liberties. I, um, I, I captured, uh, and it was a really small JPEG that I was working with. So I blew that thing up uh, in Photoshop. And, you know, certainly you'll find, uh, I'm sure folks that work in Photoshop a, a lot, when you blow up a, a cruddy JPEG, you're going to get an even cruddier, bigger JPEG. So what I decided to do is, you know, I was fascinated with all the line work on it. So I blew it up, but then I threw it on the light table and then um, redrew. So there's some liberties in there. You know, I corrected some things that I wasn't really satisfied with the original line work. Um, you know, and mind you, this was something that was created by somebody back in the 1800s. So um, for, the, for people who um, are ready to sock me with copyright infringement, um, you know, I think Part of our process is um, also sharing work that's created well before us. So, you know, hopefully uh, the original artist that worked on that line art um, wouldn't be too offended by the fact that I'm bringing back um, something that they did well over 100 years ago and still making it relevant. But so I saw this. Um, yeah, I see the comment. Nothing is 100% original. And I agree with that. Like, we're all borrowing ideas from each other. At any rate, um, the, uh, so I, I, working from just this uh, line art, I blew it up, redrew some of the lines, really cleaned it up, went in with marker and, and beefed up some areas, and then I scanned that in um, to Illustrator and then um, traced it out in Illustrator, right? You can convert it to line art uh, from a, a TIFF file. And then, um, so that's all I had for this piece was the bear. And then I found some type. Um, there's a, uh, I think of the type house, uh, I think it's called Thirst or Thirsty Script. Uh, that particular, Thirsty, yeah. I love that face. It's sort of a made to look like letterpress type and it's a script. It's been used by a lot of people lately in design. But so I grabbed that, you know, I just wanted to give it kind of um, that look and feel, sort of a vintage type look. Um, and then just started working out a palette. So, you know, and that was just something that I was doing on a Sunday night. No, nobody gave me any um, creative brief for it. Um, I made up this fictitious hat trick bear lager, um, you know, and then, but then for me, I'm like, okay, what can I do to make this my own now? I've, I've borrowed something that someone has created long before me, and I'm, I'm using a font that someone else has you know, scrolled away and, and um, figured out uh, how to get to everybody else. So I think the piece where I come in is, um, you know, I, I printed this off on uh, craft stock, and then I go through this process of roughing up the paper um, to give it sort of this, um, you know, ephemera look. Um, sometimes I'll take 
um, like a tea bag that still has a little bit of tea and stain the paper or um, you know I'll take a sponge and I've got uh, let's say some uh, acrylic paint laying around and I'll dilute it and dab it on and so forth um, so you know I, I think while I, I find times where I'll um, revive stuff that's been made, I always try to find a way to make it, you know, put my spin on it. You know, what is something that I can do? And then certainly I love um, photographing the stuff. I don't, I, I don't proclaim to be a professional photographer, but I think photographing your work is also another great way when you're sharing it to make it inspiring. So, you know, I could have just laid it on a tabletop, popped off, you know, a kind of a lousy iPhone photo of it and then posted it and walked away. But, you know, I felt like, wow, I'll put it sort of in the context of this vintage looking, you know, so I pulled a drawer out on my uh, printmaker's cabinet and propped it up there, got some natural sunlight and took a photo of it. Um, so the question is, do I use, um, let's see, do I prefer natural, mista natural mistakes of a scanner or paper combo? Um, I prefer natural mistakes in everything, um, whether it's the mistakes that old wood type make. Um, and, you know, when you think about, when you really look and you study um, letterpress and old wood type, you'll notice that um, they didn't have a font set that they pulled up on their desktop and everything was pristine and exact and all the pixels and, and, and picas and everything else were all in alignment. They literally had one R that looked completely different than the other R because those are the only pieces of wood type they had in the shop. So I think there's a lot of character in some of the mistakes um, that can be made with, um, with Hannah. And I'm actually more passionate about that probably from spending the past 10 or 11 years looking at pretty sterile digital uh, precisely manufactured um, things that we've made. Um, so it's really kind of weird. I, and, and it's no surprise, everybody is kind of into vintage stuff right now. Uh, Pinterest and Instagram are just uh, littered with the stuff. Designers are exploring a lot of different techniques and using a lot of textures and so forth, myself included. Um, but, you know, I think the only thing that, that I've found within that whole um, explosion of activity is doing the research you know like if i'm doing a poster i want to make sure that the type is is accurate or relevant to a specific like okay this is the typography they had in 1870 right and so there was very limited faces that were available and they were either done with wood type or hand lettered so i mean i think doing your homework too is an interesting way to uh, learn about the history of of design and print and um, and technique, and you really start to get an appreciation for things that were created without cut, copy, paste, scale, align, you know, all the things that we rely on. These folks were using rulers and their hands and quills, and uh, oh my God, it just blows my mind. Like some of the, if you look at, uh, right now I have, um, I have like 700, and now I said I don't collect a lot of stuff. I did buy an eBay auction uh, a few weeks ago, but purposefully, um, a collection of 700 pieces of ephemera. And 
they range from, I have pieces from 1851 or 52, all the way up to probably about the 30s, but a lot of original invoices and billhead, letterheads. So when you guys are out on the internets and you're seeing um, billheads where they show really ornate type um, and it's sort of that um, almost stereotypical old fashioned, it looks like Wild Western type. Um, I've got those pieces at home and um, I'm trying to actually sell them. Um, but scanning them in for my own, um, you know, collection, and then I'm going to sell each of them on eBay. But um, it's just there's so much detail into what people had done for their invoices and their receipts. It kind of blows my mind, you know, like the grocers uh, in the 1800s had these like super ornate, uh, almost logo designs for their grocery. And when you look at it, it was all engraved work like somebody lost a lot of sleep making those things uh, look like that and uh, I don't know I just get so inspired by the talent that was before us you know and it's almost like what are we gonna do now that people 100 years from now will look at and go oh my god this is so amazing how did they even make this but I don't know what that will be <laughs> well I want to I wanna, we only have like 15 minutes left okay so I want to <laughs> I want to pull up some of your other images, and I'm going to kind of skip around. But sure. um, you also do stuff on your iPad. And so this oh, yeah. Im this Im is kind of pulling the two together. And, you know, you do you – on your – when you have it on paper, you're mm -hmm. using pencil first, yep. and then you're getting everything down, and then the Sharpie really thin. So in this case, um, for the iPad, some of these um, pieces that I've done – um, for anybody who um, is already using Adobe Ideas, um, it's an app for the iPad. I, it's one of my favorite um, drawing apps. Um, I think they charge for it now. I think when I originally got it, it was a free app, and I was kind of like, why is this thing free? But, you know, I think Adobe, you know, to, to keep making it better and add, you know, more functionality to it, they sort of realized they could sell it for a couple bucks or whatever it costs. Um, but at any rate, these particular pieces, one of the things you can do in Adobe Ideas is you can do layers. Um, and so in this case, I'll have my rough pencil sketch. Um, I can save that out as a JPEG, pull it onto the iPad, and use it in a layer below the actual layer that I'm, I'm rendering out the type. So in this case, you're seeing a detail where I've turned off the layer below where you can see the hand sketch, the rougher sketch. But what's really great, um, if, if, if you're, uh, there's a couple of things that I think that are pretty amazing about what this app lets you do. Number one, it will auto-correct a little bit some of the line work that you do, so it makes it a little bit smoother. I think that's great for certain types of work. If you're trying to get a really clean line, mm -hmm. um, it will sort of do that for you. And it takes a little bit of getting used to, because... It's certainly not anything like putting pen or pencil to paper. You know, you've got that piece of glass between you, and there's a little bit of latency where it's kind of following what you're doing. But after you play with it for a little while, you sort of get used to that type of draw drawing when you're on the device. But what's really nice is you can export a PDF of the line work that you can do, and in turn, pull that into Illustrator or Photoshop. If you pull it into Illustrator, you can instantly 
convert it over to vector and scale it, you know, you could do this and, and post it on a billboard if you needed to. So I, I think that app is amazing uh, in that regard, but it's also great, you know, because you can sort of use your tablet as a light box in, in some regards and see the line work and then, you know, clean things up and, and work on them. I haven't done a ton of stuff. Um, I actually prefer tactile. I like, I like my fingers resting on um, paper and, you know, that's sort of what's still frustrating about tablets is they're amazing and they're gesture based, but you, you can't do what you naturally do, which is rest your hand. Um, and I've tried everything. I've tried every stylus known to man. I even have one of those really weird two-fingered gloves that um, allows you to sort of rest your hand on the glass and it sort of, it, the tablet won't pick up um, your, your touch, but it's just not the same thing. You know, for me, I've been putting, resting <laughs> my hand while writing letters and, and drawing and right. sketching since I learned how to use a pencil. So uh, until they get that figured out, um, I'll be really excited if they can figure out how to give us a digital experience that feels just like paper. And they probably will. <laughs> I'm sure at some point. Well, this is, um, I think, a lino cut or yeah. it's a... Yep. a... Yeah, lino so cut. I like that you're also, you're not just sticking to what you are super awesome at that you also try these different things because they do give you different textures and i think as designers if we do that we get richer it's yeah. just like if i ate a hamburger instead of eating a, a salad and a hamburger and french fries or something i don't know yeah. i guess i'm hungry for hamburgers today <laughs> but, but yeah that different yeah the uh what's great about linocut is um, number one, it's cheap. Um, it's really a, a pretty controlled process. I mean, you, you work on your sketch in reverse, and then you know you use uh, transfer paper and redraw um, your your sketch, trace the line work back over it, and and transfer it. Um, sorry, my screensaver came back on. Um, you transfer it back onto uh, the surface of the linoleum. And uh, let me get my screen back up here. Um, and then you, you carve out the negative space around what you want actually to print. And so if you've never tried it, it's a, it's a really cheap way to print stuff. Like, you know, I've got cardstock, stacks of cardstock at home um, that, and, and all it takes is a, a, a roller and, um, some screen printing inks or um, you can you can buy speedball inks I think are, are really good for this but yeah the reason why I um, got into Lino was just for my own curiosity like you know it's another way to do type and I think it has a very uh, letterpress look uh, to it and um, you can if you want to give them away it's so inexpensive to do multiple prints. Now, that said, this again is a part of the process. Like, I've failed miserably um, with making lino cuts. It's, it takes time and it's, it's unlike anything else uh, that I've ever worked on, but um, pretty satisfying to like lay a piece of paper on and, you know, 
roll out the ink, lay it on, and then pull it up, and you're done. You let it dry, and you, you can make like 30 of them. And um, that, that aspect of it is really cool. But, you know, again, it's another way to sort of push yourself. Like, you gotta got to get out of what you know to, to, to really um, sort of see what you're made of, right, to, to explore things. And that's, that's what line of cuts have been for me. Um, I'd love to do more work. And trust me, I've seen uh, some folks, there's a guy on Dribble that I want to cry every time I see his work. It's so amazing. Um, I wish I could remember his name off the top of my head. And I'll probably remember it, but um, Oh my God, he's just like killing it, like making t-shirts and posters. He's out of Nashville. Um, but, you know, that's, um, that, that actual um, lino cut was done with a different type of linoleum material. And it's really um, a soft rubbery. You know, there's really basically two kinds of linoleum, the hard gray, battleship gray kind. And this stuff's really easy to cut. So if you're going to experiment, Maybe test your test the waters with this kind of linoleum. It's more like almost like an eraser, like pretty easy to trim out. It's um, much but, you know, thinner. It's just, it's yeah, yeah, it's really thin. And you can get it in white or pink, or sometimes yep. I've seen yep. them in blue. Yeah. And I've seen people actually take those big, like pink erasers that are this big. You know, usually yep. we see them this, but they get the, and you can cut those too, and it's the same kind of process. And it's very inexpensive if you're getting the tools and you just want to play. Yeah, Derek Castle. Have... Derek Castle. Uh, Gavin posted Derek Castle is the name of that guy. Thank you. Yeah, that guy's stuff is incredible. Check out that dude's work. It, talk about inspiring. Yeah, you, although you may be intimidated, never pick up uh, a linoleum cutter. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, um, it'd be interesting to, like, try wood cutting. Like, you know, that's sort of the, the next level up from linoleum. And, um, you know, I think amazing things could be done with that as well. And some of that's really inexpensive, too. And a oh, yeah. thing to start with is yep. we're going to uh, have uh, the printmaker here at school, Megan Moore. She's going to be do uh, uh, design recharge this awesome. summer. Uh, and cool. I'm going to actually use my laptop. And so we're going to go in the print shop, which is right behind me. So I, you're talking about, oh, you have to pay somebody to do these things. I'm like, well, I'm so lucky I get these things right in the other room. <laughs> anyway, but go ahead. So you were saying um, you'd like to do the woodcut. And, you know, there's yeah, regular sure. end grain, and you probably would be rocking on the end grain. Uh, who knows? Just yeah, it seems overwhelming, right? Like anytime you try to tackle uh, a new medium, you're just like, oh, God, I got to learn about it. But I think that's what's great about um, sort of the world that we live in today, it's so easy to find people uh, that are amazingly talented and that are open to talking about it and sharing, more importantly, like sharing tips and techniques. You know, like I'm thrilled to be talking to everybody that ends up watching this about the things that I've learned and, um, you know, tips and techniques or tools that I use or secrets. You know, it's like that's what it's all about is, is, is helping people um, understand and sort of get over the intimidation factor of trying something new, whether it's, you know, backyard gardening or, you know, making a recipe off of Pinterest or whatever. I think that's what's awesome about social um, is that it's so easy to learn about whatever you want to learn about. And, you know, that's, um, I don't know, that's, that's why I love, uh, I love Pinterest in that regard. I love Dribble as a community for designers. 
very collaborative. People were just willing to put it out there and, and get feedback. It's really easy for me to provide feedback because working as a creative director, I'm like really comfortable like giving people constructive feedback without you know having them leave the room with their tail between their legs. So you know I feel like if somebody is looking for help or advice to make something better um, and they're willing to put it out there, it's great that we can do that for a complete stranger. That's what I love about social. Definitely. So I'm going to bring up one more image and then I'm going to share all the ways you can follow Keith. He's giving me lots of links. But um, this kind of shows the whole process. And I know it's kind of small, but um, the it's can you kind of talk us through like and how long something like this would take you from a start to finish? Uh, yeah, the easiest answer is it takes forever. No, it doesn't really, it actually doesn't take as much time as you would think. Um, so the process for that fedora piece, um, I actually found, um, and, and folks may have even seen this image floating around on Pinterest or Flickr or what have you. And again, that's another example of um, you, you you, you find yourself seeing a lot of the same stuff after, you know, if you're really out there looking, you, you come across a lot of the same stuff. So what I've been trying to do lately is create original content, stuff that I haven't seen on Pinterest. And that's why I'm so passionate about all those type hunts that I go on, because chances are I might pick up a can or a box or something with labeling or packaging that um, very few people have seen, and so that's what I love about getting it up there. But at any rate, I came across this piece, Dress Shield, and, and so I did a little bit of homework. I don't know if anybody uh, is familiar with what dress shields are, but they were actually uh, pieces of material that go into your armpits to prevent you from staining your clothing. So, like, that got a little bit weird after I saw the piece. I'm like, oh, okay, so that's what dress shields are. But then I was like, you know what? The type is so amazing on this. Um, it, it was just like, again, one of those things where my mind was instantly excited by seeing this thing. And trade cards are basically, you know, range from, um, you know, cards that are like three by five, like an index card up to a little bit larger. And um, that's that used to be what your business card would be. So, you know, if you were a printer or you were a lawyer or you were a grocer or you were a, br a brand like a manufacturer, you would get a trade card made and, and those were giveaways. So you'll see Victorian trade cards uh, on the web back from the 1800s. And at any rate, this piece, I fell in love with the type. Again, I'm like, I want that as a poster. And you can imagine looking at a tiny JPEG on the internet is nowhere near as satisfying as having like uh, an 18 by 24 poster hanging up in your studio, you know. So um, I found two images. One was really awful, but at least it was high contrast and I could see a lot of um, the sort of overall the design of it. And then I found one that was a little more detailed. And so I set out um, basically I, I, I took that image and blew it up and blew it up and blew it up, played with the contrast in Photoshop so I could get as clear of an image as I possibly could. And then I printed out two sheets, probably on two eight and a half by 11. That's why you're seeing probably in the sketch, there's a seam down the middle. Mm -hmm. And I set out on cleaning up the line work myself in pencil. 
So I wanted to get the essence, everything that I loved about that original design, you know, the swoops and the type, all those really nice detailed flourishes around the text. And I loved that some of the text below, it's hard to tell in the smaller image, but if you poke around on any of my stuff, you'll be able to see a much more detailed piece. I think I had that, that particular piece on Dribble. if you want to see a really nice detailed image of that. But um, the bottom type was really cruddy hand-drawn type as well. So you had this really beautiful, you know, ornate type and then just sort of hand-drawn stuff. And I just fell in love with it. At any rate, I, um, I retraced all the line work. That took a little bit of time and I tried to correct some things, but you know, I had my source materials in front of me so I could sort of compare and contrast, like does the D have more of a curve or is, you know, does it have sharp points? It's, it's important to have those details. Um, and then I set out, once I got the pencil, the line drawing done, then I went in and inked it. And that took probably the most amount of time. But you know, again, I think that's one of those um, activities where you just throw on some music and you know I spread it out over a few nights. It's not like I um, set out to just sit down and finish this thing. You kind of have to be okay with walking away from it and coming back to it. You know, We're all busy people. And so I left it in the center of my drafting table and I would come back and fill in a certain portion of it. Um, and I got the that final line art to a place where I was pretty happy with it. Then I took that scan the whole piece. Um, we have, um, here at work, we have larger uh, photocopiers, Xerox machines that can scan pretty large documents. So maybe I'm spoiled in that regard, but you know, it's not always easy to get a large piece scanned in. Um, some people have to go to great lengths to get that. But at, I had scanned that in and then I cleaned up the type in, um, in uh, Illustrator and then I sort of worked on creating the, uh, the palette for it. So the original piece is black and white. So I wanted the piece, you know, to sort of have a slightly different color. And again, you're seeing that color, um, that light brown sort of really aged paper. A lot of printed material was printed on that kind of stock back in the day. So I set out to find some textures. I scanned in um, a book that I had borrowed through Interlibrary Loan that was from the same general time frame. Scanned in and got a really high resolution image of it so that I could see all the pits and grain and you know you could see all the, the detail. Um, and I spent a lot of time in Photoshop working on the texture, making it look like it's printed. And sometimes that means roughing it up Sometimes that means blurring out the edges because like when you actually, if you really pay attention to when things get printed, there's a little bit of bleed on the paper. And those kind of details really set it apart from all the vector stuff that we're used to seeing where it's crisp, hard edge, super clean, no bleed. Like, so, you know, when you get sort of caught up in all those details, it starts to show up in the work. And so I'm, I'm proud to say I have a couple versions of this. I have a smaller version that's probably truer to what the original trade card size would have been. And that shows up in shots of my studio from here and there. But I also have a much larger piece, uh, poster size. And it's so awesome, you know, to kind of spin your chair to the side and look at something. Awesome in a couple regards, just to think about that original design and what was going through the original artist's or designer's head to come up with that layout and to, to work out the type that way. Like, why did they decide to do these flourishes? And why did they include these details and, and, 
and get rid of others. And then for you to be a part of that, you know, to, to um, I, I often describe, and I think a lot of people may not get it, but I often describe some of the work that I do as sort of a revival. I'll revive type that somebody else has created. I'm not copying it. I'm not making money off of it. I'm just trying to bring it into our time. Like I want other people to see how amazing some of this stuff is because there's a chance they may never see it in their lifetime unless they're looking for it, right? So, um, so a lot of my stuff is listed as a revival. I'll find really old pieces of art or type and try to bring it back to life and, and, and make it relevant in our time as well. I just love the, the hand, the thick and thin and that Absolutely. you put it in the computer, but then it, that's what makes it feel like it was on uncoded paper yeah. and it was, the ink was, you know, filling in some of those gaps and I, and there's I mistakes it just... too. It's okay that there's mistakes. Like I like to include, um, I've, I've done stuff where I'll include a fingerprint in the corner. Like, I don't know if you've really looked, but when you're doing a high press run of something, like sometimes you'll get a little bit of ink on things. And I think it's okay. It gives it a little bit of personality. It reminds people that a human being was involved. It's not just the machine that's, that's created it, right? I think there was so so much of a time, uh, especially in the 80s and 90s, where we really wanted to take the human part out. And I think that there's been, you know, a uh, a trend to go back towards that. And it, you see it in Absolutely. the type that people are using. It's, and, it's in design as a whole. I mean, that's why Etsy is so popular. That's why letterpress classes are so popular. That's why people are... Uh, making trips to like Hamilton wood type and um, hat show print and you know um, all these places where things are being made by hand you know I think there's a uh, we're, we're going back the other direction you know it's like everything was made by hand then we we lived in the age that we live in where we rely on machines to help us get it done and now people are like okay Let's get some personality and life back into it. Let's get the human touch back into the work. And I think it even shows up. It shows up in the, the digital work that people do here in the office. People are being really creative about their process and including hand-sketched type and um, hand-lettered things and uh, things they make and they'll scan them in or take a photo of and include it in their actual design work. Um, I'm excited that you know people are uh, willing to get back to our roots and uh, you know I feel bad that I didn't realize that for a number of years I wish I had figured that out like 10 years ago I would have been sort of ahead of the game maybe you know like people are like what is this guy doing he's a freak he's he's making all this stuff by hand and we're using computers to make everything but um, it's cool there there's there's so much room out there for people um, to make the things that they're passionate about and for other people to appreciate it you know, don't forget about the fact that nine times out of ten, um, if, you, if you're a creative, almost a majority of the people that you um, interact with are not, unless you have a really big creative community that you're part of. So just about everything that you make is going to be fascinating to them because they can't make it. They don't feel empowered. They haven't, um, they either haven't tried or someone for a majority of their life has convince them that they're not artistic or creative so you know chances are if you make something uh, there's going to be somebody that's going to like it or appreciate it you know so 
you just have to make a lot of stuff. That's really all that I'm doing. And I think that's really all that a lot of people that I follow and that I'm uh, inspired by are doing. They just keep making stuff. And I think of what I've found is if you keep making it long enough, you start to get good at making it. And um, so I don't know. That's you you do you 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 fine tune your skill you get a steadier hand you 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 work out what inspires you and uh what makes you unique you figure out what colors you like you you figure out like me that you love texture like god i wish i had known that like in school i might be like a really super successful illustrator right now who knows but um yeah i i you know i, I and that's part of, you know, getting back to surrounding yourself with all the inspiration. Um, surround yourself uh, with it in digital. Like, get on Pinterest. If you're not already on there, get on there and see what people are penning. Pen everything that, if, if you look at it for like one second and it sparks something in you, get it out there on a pen board and hang on to it and start collecting these things and let it influence um, some of the work that you do and but absolutely my bigger message is get the stuff that you're making first of all start making things make terrible stuff like you're gonna have to make a, I've made so much garbage like I probably have piles of stuff that hopefully the world will never see um, but it got me to where I'm at right now right in terms of um, skill and, and capability but um, but get it in front of yourself, like be your own uh, critic, like look the work, make sure it's visible, don't, don't hide it away, make sure you learn from your mistakes too is another big piece of it. Well, you, we will definitely have to have you back on because we didn't even cover how much time you spend in your research process, but I wanted to sure. mention, I played this movie, I bought it and I played it um, for my class, which I don't know if it's legal, but Will's, I'm trying to influence new typographers. So it's, he's mentioned it a lot, Hamilton Wood Type. It's in um, Wisconsin, I think. Yeah. And they have a movie and it's like 40 bucks, but it helps them stay in business. And you can go there, you can go if you wanna go and have a wood type class and stuff like that, um, or play with the letterpress. They actually want you to work with the type. So check it out. If you haven't seen the movie, it is really good. And I'm going to plop up some more stuff that Keith uh, wanted to share. Um, oh, and they have great sketchbooks for sale. Thanks, Nikki. Um, this is his new kind of adventure, which we'll definitely have to have you back, but this is an app. And do you want to get tell us a little bit about the Flip Magazine? Oh yeah, sure. So for anybody that uh, has seen recently, um, I don't know within the audience uh, of the people that are here now or that will watch it how familiar everyone is with Flipboard. But you know, for anybody that's been on an iPad and you you've um, experienced um, Flipboard, it's it's been around I think probably for a year or two now. And it was one of those examples where somebody came up with an idea. They realized that people love to browse content on the iPad. And so Flipboard is not new, but there is a new feature that they just turned on a couple of weeks ago. And I think this is very telling and it, it's sort of a larger, it, it gives you a glimpse at a little bit of the future of social is, um, you know, 
when, when you see things like Pinterest and Tumblr and uh, Instagram, all these places where we're curating, right? Basically what we're doing is we're capturing things that are happening in our lives, whether it's the food we're eating, that hamburger that you're hungry for, or, um, you know, um, you know, taking photos of, of, of events that are happening in our lives or sharing design and type inspiration, whatever it may be. Um, what they've turned on in terms of functionality for Flipboard is the ability for you to basically create your own magazine. And you can be a content author of whatever you want. And people can subscribe to that through Flipboard. So it's really not a unique concept. I mean, that's largely what Pinterest and Instagram and, and everything else that's already out there, are, what they're intended to be. But I think this is really cool because, um, one, it's very easy to use. And two, um, you know, you can pick up followers very easily. I mean, the, the distribution of it is very simple. So I think people will really grab a hold of that. It might sort of be the next level of blogging uh, or, um, you know, uh, maybe the evolution of magazine content uh, for all I know. But um, what I thought was interesting about it is um, I could take a lot of the stuff that I was already collecting and easily get it into the experience and sort of wrap it up into sort of a flippable magazine format. And um, so I started, uh, this was about a week and a half ago, I started uh, a, a, a flipbook magazine or flipboard magazine for vintage type uh, and design. Shouldn't be a real big surprise. That's something that I'm very passionate about. But um, just found it was really easy to create. Um, and I started out after I uh, published it. Um, sorry, my machine locked up again. Uh, I I think within a couple of days there were like twenty or thirty people that um, subscribed to the magazine. So I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. You know, it's kind of a different experience uh, than Pinterest. It's not hard to pick up followers on Pinterest or Instagram or, or what have you, but um, the next thing I knew, I got into the weekend, and the numbers were closer to like 800 people. And I was like, whoa, what's going on here? This is, this is really crazy. Like, I just put that thing up there. So I think you'll probably see, it, it, it might be another, um, maybe it's a flash in the pan, like Pinterest was when it came out, and you know, what a lot of these really cool social tools that we use every day. Um, Maybe it's the same kind of a thing. I'm not sure. The jury's still out. We'll have to see. But it is a great format. So, um, you know, you basically can bring in images from Tumblr, from um, Flickr, from a, a handful of resources that you might already be saving imagery to. And it's not that hard to get content from Pinterest over into it, although it's not like a direct one-to-one. -one. I mean, it's obviously going to be a comp competition for Pinterest. They're probably pretty nervous with the format. But... Um, I just love the idea of digital magazine, you know, walking around with your tablet and being able to just flip through um, content that inspires you and, and empowering us as um, uh, web citizens to be able to produce your own content and not worry about a distribution channel and people have to go, you know, subscribe and pay money. Now, they may have a much larger picture down the road and they may be charging for subscriptions. I have no idea. But for now, it's kind of an interesting trend. Um, so I did start, um, I've jumped on that one just because um, it's not hard to do. 
Um, but I'll be interested um, in seeing what um, where that one goes. But it's an easy way to to really look at a lot of the images that I'm inspired by uh, as well. Well, cool, Keith. I don't want to keep you much longer, but I have put all of his ways to um, follow Pinterest, Instagram, Tumblr, um, Dribble, uh, tons of different ways to keep up with and the flip uh, board thing too as well. And if you know, please everybody go and designrecharge.org, sign up for our email list. You'll never miss an episode. And you get all the questions, which everybody else doesn't get. You get to know what we're going to maybe ask at least. Um, but Keith, we'll have to have you back on. It was great. You're super oh, yeah. inspiring to me. Thank you so much. Know some new things to do for me. And hopefully I can share with some of my students too. So thank you guys so much. Thank you, Kojo, for coming and everybody else who was able to come. We'll see you next week and um, thank you again. Keith, we'll have to have you back on at the end of the summer or something. Oh, I'd love to come back. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks, guys. See you next week. <laughs>